If I can invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn in it to John chapter 16. And if you want to use the, the Bible in front of you there, if you want to turn to page 903, we'll be mostly there. We'll look at a couple other verses. They'll often be on the screen, but kind of you'll 903, you'll be where we're going to be. Since today is probably a day where people have been traveling and coming and going, and some of you maybe haven't been here all the month of December, for December, for the Advent season, we've been gathering every Sunday morning to try to answer the question, why did Jesus come? And through Jesus' own words in the Gospel of John, he seemed to be pretty clear that Jesus came because he had a plan to accomplish a purpose. We learn from John 10, part of his plan and purpose, quite honestly, was he came to give us abundant lives. And then in John 12, we learned that Jesus came to glorify God because that was for our good, and he also came to transform our lives. See, he had a plan that he wanted to accomplish. He had a purpose to fulfill. I guess another way you could say that is Jesus had a mission to do. But what happens when the mission is accomplished? Now, I don't know how the weather forecast is kind of messing up your plans or your family plans, but I'm going to guess you've had other Christmases where you've been excited for family to come and friends to come, and they come to your house, and you're all together, and you have a great time, and then it's January, or January, it's not January 26th, it's December 26th, and all of a sudden they get up early and they're getting in their car to leave. And you're like, hang on, it's, it's too soon. We, we were just together. We were having fun. Why are you leaving now? Why are you taking off? Well, because they came and they had a plan and they fulfilled that plan. They were with you and now they've got to go. There is a sense, folks, in which Jesus literally came to do his mission, to do his plan, and then to leave. And actually, that's actually Jesus' next explanation for why he came. See, Jesus knew he had a mission to do, and when he accomplished his mission, one of the things tied to his mission is he had a very clearly defined exit strategy. John chapter 16 and verse 28, Jesus said these words, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. See, Jesus understood he had been sent by his Father to accomplish a mission, and the mission really was to come into the world and to accomplish the will of God, to do exactly what God was calling him to do. Now, it sounds a little bit like a review, but I think it's important. The first three messages of the series really were a delineation of here's what God's will is. Here's what God wants for us. Here's why God sent Jesus. See, Jesus came to give us abundant lives because that was the will of the Father. Jesus came to glorify God because that's for our good, because God knew we needed that. Jesus came, quite honestly, to transform our lives because the Father knew we needed that. The Father's will is for you to receive those gifts. Quite honestly, God has a sense, a Christmas tree, and under that tree are these incredible gifts that he is offering you that he really wants to give you. He wants you to have and enjoy. Now, as I say that, maybe you're wanting to say no. I probably owe that child a lot of money right now because she tied in so well with my notes. <laughs> I don't know. 
as you came here this morning, what you're thinking about God or maybe what your attitude is towards what you think his attitude is towards you. Maybe there are things happening in your life that are complicating or confusing your ability to really answer questions about God or what God thinks about you. Maybe it's because there has been some disappointment or maybe there's some heartache in your life or maybe there is an issue that kind of has cropped up and you have not been able to find a satisfying answer to. Or maybe you're coming to the end of 2023 and you're saying, this year hasn't gone the way I wanted it to. And so you can hear things about God wants to give us these gifts and you're like, I'm not so sure about that. Given that I don't know what you're thinking, can I just say this? Jesus literally came to give you the gift of an abundant and transformed life that involves his good being brought into your life so that, yes, you would glorify God, but also that you would receive in glorifying God his amazing kindness and goodness in your life. That literally is a package that is waiting for you that God has wrapped for you with your name on it. Jesus came to give you those things. Now, he also came to leave, but he came to give you those things before he left. But here's the thing. There's more to verse 28 than Jesus just saying, hey, I came to leave. In fact, there's something about his leaving that actually also is a gift to us. There's something we need that we can, in one sense, only receive by him leaving. Now, if we're going to make sense of what Jesus is saying in verse 28, we maybe need to back up for a second just from verse 28 to all of John 16 and actually more than just all of John 16, we need to back up to John 13 through 17. See, John 16 is really a part of a whole bigger section from verse chapter 13 through chapter 17. All five of those chapters happened in an incredibly short period of time on the evening of the day that we call Monday, Thursday, the day, literally the evening before Jesus was crucified. Those chapters, in essence, those five chapters are Jesus' last words to his disciples before he died. We kind of get that sense if you look at John chapter 13 and verse 1 where it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, as Jesus walked into what we would call the upper room that night, he knew exactly what was coming. So as that evening unfolded, as he was meeting with the disciples, as they were having a meal together, he began to share with them, hey guys, I I'm about to leave. And as you can imagine, maybe like if you're spending time with someone and you're hoping you're, you're never going to be separated from them, and all of a sudden they start to say, I've got to go. How hard that is. There are moments and times where I watch our grandkids. And sometimes grandkids get left with grandparents. And when mommy and daddy leave, grandkids aren't thrilled. 
And so they scream and they're sad and they're frustrated, like, where are mommy and daddy? Have you ever felt like a three-year-old? As I think the disciples in the moment of Jesus saying, I'm going to leave, they're feeling like three-year-olds going, I don't get it. They're sad, they're confused, and they don't understand. Now, Jesus said some other things in the upper room. He told them about it was to their benefit and advantage for him to leave because the Holy Spirit would come. He also told them how critical it was that they needed to abide in Jesus, how much they needed those things, how those are incredible gifts. But he also knew that his disciples were struggling. So in John chapter 16, verse 16 through 19, there's a bit of a dialogue I want us to see. Verse 16, Jesus said this, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now he said this a few times already, but he comes back to it. He's circling back around. Well, this gets them sad and confused. So verse 17 and 18. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is it that he said that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he is talking about. Now, they're having this sort of conversation among themselves, but Jesus knows they're confused. So then in verse 19, he asks, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? That night had to be incredibly hard for the disciples. But Jesus knew they needed something. He also knew in the midst of their confusion, he was going to have to deal with their confusion. And so he made a promise to them. He said, I'm going to give you greater clarity. Look down at verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So Jesus said, hey guys, I'm going to make something really, really clear to you. Which really raises the question, because in verse 28, he says, hey, I'm going to leave. So you need to ask the question, was verse 28, when Jesus said he was going to leave and go to the Father, was that something that added clarity, that made perfect sense to them, that helped them in the moment? Well, the disciples thought so. See, look how the disciples respond to verse 28 in verses 29 and 30. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. It's kind of like the disciples have been confused and and sad and all that. And all of a sudden in this moment, they're like, we get it. In essence, they're saying, we don't need to ask you any questions, Jesus. Like, we fully understand this. We've got it nailed. We're good to go, really. We're really good to go. Which raises the question. They had been sad and confused, and now they're saying they're good to go. Are they really good to go? To make it transition, really, or to think about that from their lives to our lives, let me ask you. Are you good to go? Are you good to go when you don't know everything that's coming? Are you good to go in this moment? Do you and I have it all figured out so, hey, we can handle anything that comes? Are we good 
to go. See, one of the big takeaways I hope this Advent message series communicates and helps us to grasp is that Jesus came because we are in need. That we have needs that can only be met by Him. See, I hope John 10 made it very clear that we need a shepherd, a shepherd who can give us abundant lives and him can then lead us to experience those lives. I hope John 12 made it clear. Look, look, we need transformed lives. And the only way we'll get a transformed life, the only way we'll get an abundant life isn't through us because we've got it all figured out. We're good to go. No, we'll get those things because of Jesus. That Jesus can provide those things things. Here's a concern I have. I kind of feel like a jerk on Christmas Eve saying certain things, but I'm not trying to be a jerk. But here's a concern I have for you. And the reason I have it for you is because I'm pretty sure it's something I struggle with. And that's this. You and I can think a lot more highly of ourselves than we realistically should. We can be like, I'm good. I've got this figured out. And they say, why do you have that concern? Well, I have that concern because Peter was pretty confident he had it all figured out. And yet, what does John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, the same night, what's going on there? Well, Simon Peter said to him, Jesus had been talking about leaving. Simon and Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me soon afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I mean, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter was pretty convinced he was good to go, that he could handle anything that was coming at him. And here's a reality I think you and I need to consider, is we have needs that we're not aware of. We think we're good to go, but even when we think we're good to go, there's something that we need. And where are we going to get that? We don't see it, but we need it. How's that going to work? Folks, I think John 16 and Jesus coming, him coming as a baby and how his life really points to is there's a question we need to ask our souls. He knows we need to ask our souls. And that is this. You and I might think we're good. And I'm not saying we're not good at a certain moment, but we need to ask the question, can I stay good? Can I be living with a sense of confidence? Can I stay good when life around me gets complicated? You and I might be good when everything in life is going exactly the way we want it to, the way we plan it, the way we think it should be. But what do you and I do when the future unfolds in ways that rocks our boats and we get seasick? How do we live in that moment? You see, Jesus came, yes, to leave, but behind his leaving, he was doing that because there was something he needed us to have. There was something he knew we needed. 
that he could provide. The disciples weren't getting it yet. So look at what Jesus says to them in verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now, in asking the question, do you believe now, Jesus is kind of probing the disciples. He's kind of wanting them to actually get them to think a little bit of what's going on inside their lives. He's wanting them to ask, really, are they as secure as they think they are? Is they, can they're like, hey, I don't need anything. I'm good. I can handle this. Now, I don't think he's trying to belittle them. He's not trying to say negative things about them. But here's the thing. In the hearing of all the disciples... In the same room, he had already told Peter, Peter, you're going to be scattered. You're going to bail. And now he's telling the disciples, you're all going to do that. You're not quite as solid as you think you are. In verse 32, he's making it clear they're going to be shaken. Folks, another big takeaway I hope we glean from this Advent series is that Jesus came because he knows that we have needs that can only be met in Him. In essence, the only way you and I can be good, the only way you and I can be solid when our boats are rocky is if Jesus does something for us. We may not know we need it, but Jesus does. So look what He says to them in verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus pressed the point in verses 31 and 32 so that they could see their need, so that then they'd realize, hey, I need this, and Jesus is the one who can meet it. In the world, they were going to have, and there will be, experiences of tribulation. But Jesus is telling them, yes, around you there can be stuff. Around you there can be chaos. But in me, you can have peace. Now, the idea of peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Biblically, when the Bible talks about peace, it's talking about soundness. It's talking about completeness. It's talking about wholeness. In essence, into our lives, Jesus wants to bring his wholeness. Wholeness, even when things around us are chaotic, he wants to bring us a sense of peace. Now, if we step out of John 16 just for a minute to the whole story of the Bible, we'll see again and again as we read different parts of the Scripture the tribulation, the struggle and pressure, it's coming knocking at our door. That can make things difficult and hard for us. That's a truth of Scripture. But another truth of Scripture is that Jesus, the one who left, is coming back. See, we're waiting not for His first advent. We're celebrating His first advent. We're waiting for Him to return. And when Jesus comes back, when He returns, He's going to end all the chaos, all the tribulation. He will bring completeness 
and the victory he won at the cross and through his resurrection will be experienced in every nook and cranny of life. But we're not there yet. We said when we started this series on December 3rd that part of the purpose of this series really was to calibrate our souls to help us wait for Jesus to return. Now, part of calibrating our souls to wait for Jesus to return means, you know what, we should expect that chaos is coming. We should expect that there's going to be tribulation. Waves can pound our ship. Well, given the wind forecast coming, I guess you could say driving, it's going to pound us. We're going to get it. But in John 16, Jesus says he's the overcomer, which means as the one who overcomes, he can bring peace. Which means as we wait for the return of Jesus, yeah, we can anticipate, we should anticipate chaos. But we also need to calibrate our souls to realize that Jesus is making his peace possible. He actually literally brings it to his followers. Jesus wants to bring all of us. Another present, in a sense, under God's tree for us is wholeness. What does that mean? Well, part of what it means is that Jesus does have peace for us right now, but that doesn't stop the chaos and tribulation. Our ships are still going to get pounded. But if you want to play off the analogy of a ship that's getting rocked by winds and waves, Jesus literally puts inside us a ballast system so that instead of us getting thrown over by waves, we can stay upright. Instead of going down and under, we can keep going. We can keep moving because of the overcomer, because of the peace he brings into our lives, even when we're pounded by the waves of chaos. Let me ask you again. Can you be good? Can you be solid when life gets complicated? Jesus would say the answer to that question is yes, because he's the overcomer. See, he came to overcome the world so that we could live in his peace. So that when chaos is there, we could look to him and he would keep us stable. And based on his words in verse 33, as we wait for him to come again, his overcoming means we can receive the peace we need. Why did Jesus come? Well, part of the answer to that question is he came because he wants to give you the peace you need in a turbulent world. But he's leaving. How can I get peace from him? Well, to kind of take this from him saying this to how do you and I experience it, let me suggest to you three truths or three keys that can help us experience what Jesus is offering. That as we wait, here's how you and I can experience the peace he has for us. Key number one, how can you and I experience the peace he has for us? We simply ask God for his peace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 13, the apostle Paul had a really short prayer. He prayed for the church at Rome and it reads this way. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know what? Paul knows that God wants us to have hope. He wants our lives to be filled with hope. But for us to abound in God's hope, he's saying, guess what? You need to be filled with joy and peace. But Paul believes, guess what? God is in the business of filling people with his joy and peace. God wants to do that. So in essence, if we want to experience God's peace, maybe what we need to do is the exact thing Paul did. Paul prayed that they'd be filled with joy and peace. Maybe we need to do the exact same thing to pray, God, would you fill me with your peace? Now I'm going to guess at some point in the build-up to Christmas, somebody might have asked you, what do you want for Christmas? And since I said a few weeks ago, like, you know, my parents never gave me a Stretch Armstrong, and then I was given two Stretch Armstrongs, I'm going to be really, really careful what I say right now. Because sometimes, like, you know, if your kids or grandkids say, you know, what do you want for Christmas? You usually don't say an all-expense-paid year-long vacation, okay? You want to, you, you kind of respond in a way that's probably, you know, in their reach, a realistic for them to be able to do. Well, folks, this morning, God is asking you, what do you want for Christmas? And based on the authority of his word here in Romans 15, 13, it sounds like filling peace is well within God's reach. That's not beyond his ability to give. In fact, he wants to give it. So for you and I to experience peace, let's simply ask him for it. Ask God to fill us with joy and peace and believe, you know what? He can give those gifts. He can give us that. Key number two, if you and I are going to experience what Jesus has for us, we need to also pray for God to work when chaos comes knocking. We need to pray for him and ask him to work and move. There's some very well-known verses in Philippians chapter 4. Let me read Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 that touch on this. They say this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what? The triune God knows that you and I can struggle when life gets complicated. But I want us to understand, I need to understand, God doesn't want you and I to live in anxiety. He knows we can but he doesn't want us to live there. So he's saying, instead of being anxious, instead of being consumed by that, here, I want you to do something, he's saying. I want you to pray. I want you to lay out your anxiety. I want you to make bold requests to me about what's going on in your life. In the midst of the storms that are rocking your boat, that are making life turbulent, pray to me, look to me. That's really the message of verse 6. But I want us to notice also the message of verse 7. It seems like if we do what verse 6 is calling us to, Paul is saying if we do this, we pray to God, we literally are opening the door for us to experience God's peace. Now please, praying doesn't mean that God's going to answer exactly the way we want it to or necessarily in the time frame you and I like. 
Because I would guess most of us, when we pray, in our heads, God should be doing exactly what we want by the time we get to amen. That's why sometimes people tease me, would you pause a long time in Jesus' name, and then it's like, amen. I'm just giving God a little more time. I don't have as much faith as some of you do. Okay, I, I just, like, God, please. That's not what verse 6 and 7 are saying. You see, God's peace, us feeling peace, is not a product of God answering a prayer. That's not what verse 7 says. Verse 7 says, if I pray, if I lay this out, God's peace can come. God's peace is given when I do what God tells me to do. Folks, we need to remember Jesus came in part to give us peace. So let's pray. And God's peace shows up. Key number three. We also need to guard our focal point. If we're going to experience the peace that Jesus has for us, the peace that he has as we wait for him to come again, we need to really be conscious about what is it we're focusing on. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 read this way. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And notice this, and the God of peace will be with you. And I don't think the Bible in any way calls us to ignore the things that are turbulent and chaotic in our lives. I mean, verses 6 and 7 literally are telling us to pray around and about those things. Here in verse 8, I think it's a sense in which Paul is saying, hey, after you've prayed, after you've poured that stuff out to God, don't go back and dwell on the turmoil. Don't go back there. Instead, choose to look at things that are honorable, that are true. Focus there. I am abundantly confident because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit this last week that I am really, really good at complicating my life because I don't follow what verse 8 said. And not only have I complicated my life, I've hurt my life, I've hurt my family. And I've probably hurt us as a church. So let me ask the question, what if instead of not taking verse 8 seriously, we take it seriously? What will happen then? Look at verse 9. At least the end of verse 9. What does it say? The God of peace is with us. See, when I focus on things beyond the wind and the rain and the waves of the chaos I'm feeling, when I consider that there are things that are excellent and worthy of praise, when I do that, Paul is saying, look, it opens up your eyes to see that the God of peace is right there. He's with us amid the swirling of turbulation. 
Which means, in the midst of the chaos while I'm waiting for Jesus, I can experience his peace. I can enjoy what he has for me. Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to carry out a mission and then to leave and go back to his father. And for the disciples, that was incredibly unsettling. Waiting now, because we wait for his second advent, that's not easy. But his mission in coming the first time was to overcome the world through his death and resurrection. And even though he left and we're waiting for him to come again, there's a gift he gives us that flows out of his overcoming. And that is a gift of his peace. The peace that we need to be good internally when everything around us is far from good. Can I urge you today? Please, receive Jesus and his peace. Please, follow Jesus and experience his peace. Would you pray? Father, you offer us so much. As we come to Christmas, I pray we would realize the incredible gift you give us in your peace. We may struggle to experience it. We may struggle to know it. There may be things in our lives, even in this moment, where we're wondering, is that true? And yet, Lord, it is. And you have it for us. And I would pray and ask today, would we know your peace? Would we experience this incredible gift you want to give us? Thank you for your amazing goodness to us. May we rejoice in it. May we receive it. And I pray literally we would go from here following you, experiencing your peace, and realizing we can share that peace with others. Thank you for giving to us your peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that because you overcame what was coming at you, you make it possible for us to receive your peace and to overcome with it. In the very precious and powerful name of the Savior we pray.